Great to be with you. You know, there are a, a, a few crosses that come with being a bishop, but there are also a few blessings. One of them is that when the Pope comes to town, you get to go meet him. <laughs> so the next week, I get to go be with our Holy Father. And uh, I actually got to meet Pope Francis uh, a couple of times already. Uh, I was in Rome. This is about just two months, not even that, not even two months after I was ordained a bishop. I was already scheduled to go to Rome for, to help direct a retreat for some seminarians even before I was called to be a bishop or knew I was going to be called, and so uh, I got to go as a bishop to Rome. And if you go as a bishop to Rome, then you can go to the Wednesday audience that the Holy Father has, and you can sit up front by the Holy Father, and then you can greet him personally afterwards. And I knew you could do this, but I didn't know how to do it, so I called up my bishop friends and I said, you know, how do I do this? Do I need to like send a reservation in, or you know, do I have to get uh, permission, or have some kind of identification that says I'm a real bishop? And uh, they said, no, just wear your fancy bishop's cassock and show up on Wednesday and they'll let you right in. I'm like, really? No ID? No nothing? No. So I did. I wore, I, in fact, I had a letter like written from our chancellor that said, you know, I'm an official bishop just in case. Just in case it didn't work because I look so young. And so, uh, but it, no, sure enough, you wear the bishop's cassock, you walk up to the Swiss guard, they salute and they let you walk right by. And you go all the way up, you can go all the way up to the stage, you know, in front of St. Peter's where the Holy Father comes out. And eventually I saw him there with all the other bishops and the Holy Father comes out. And, uh, I mean, it was, a, you know, it was, it was a, one of those moments where you're like, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> That's the Pope and I'm up here. I mean, I've been a bishop for like six weeks, you know. So, uh, so after the uh, audience, they invite the bishops to come forward and to meet the Holy Father, because I was so nervous, I was there really early. And so I was like the second guy in line. And I've, there's a protocol when a bishop meets the Holy Father, you're supposed to remove your zucchetto and then kiss his ring. Well, I, I was thinking so much about what I wanted to say to him in Spanish that I forgot all that. So I just grabbed his hand and I said, Holy Father, you know, you, you named me a bishop just a few months ago. And I said, thank you for being a man of the gospel. And he looked at me and he said, Oh my, you're young. <laughs> and then he said, he said, you're going to have to work a lot. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. And then he said, uh, and then he said, and you're going to have to pray a lot too. And then he put his finger in my chest and he looked me right in the eye and he pounded. And he said, pray a lot. Pray a lot. Pray a lot. So I got the message. <laughs> so uh, that's actually just what I want to talk to you about this morning. What I want to talk to you this morning actually is about uh, the, the Christian virtue of zeal. The Christian virtue of zeal. And of course it's zeal that gives us the strength that we need to go forward when things get difficult. And zeal is... Uh, it's not optimism. Uh, it's not a, simply a good attitude. It has to be something deeper than that because optimism and good attitudes eventually fail, right? Zeal is the virtue that allows us to go forward when everything is going wrong or when everything looks dark. 
Zeal is a, is a participation in Christ's own love for the people that I serve. What happens as I grow in my life of prayer in ministry is that I begin to experience Christ's own love for the people that I serve. St. Paul speaks about this in 2 Corinthians 11, 2. He says, he says, I feel a jealous love for you to the Corinthians because I espoused you to one husband, to Christ, and now you've been unfaithful. See what St. Paul's saying? He's saying, like a, like a husband would be jealous for his wife who abandons him. He says, I have that feeling in my heart because my heart has been so conformed to Christ's heart, I feel that you've abandoned him and I feel the jealous love, right? That's zeal. I remember the first time I saw real zeal. It was, uh, it was 1992. And I was in Denver, actually 93, 1993, I was in Denver, and John Paul II was there. And uh, it was Saturday night, I, uh, I was um, with a group from NET, a group of NET alumni, but uh, I wanted to get as close as I could to John Paul II, and so I, I left the group, and just started to kind of work my way through the crowd, you know, individually. Because I knew if I stayed with them, I, would have, I wouldn't be able to do this. So I worked my way basically all the way through the crowd, up as close as I could get to the stage, so I could actually see him. And I remember seeing him speak. And I saw something in his heart. And it was a fire. It was a burning fire. And I remember being taken by it. And I remember thinking... That's what I want. I want that fire. And of course he said, right? He was, he was saying, he said in those very words in that speech, now's not the time to be ashamed of the gospel. Now's the time to preach it from the rooftops. There was a fire in him that could not be quenched. And when I saw it, I wanted it. That's zeal, right? Now, if you've been paying attention to Pope Francis, you, you'll see that this fire is in him, and you're going to see it this week, and the United States is going to get to see it. There's a fire in him to preach the gospel, and it's in his writings. Uh, if you haven't read uh, Joy of the Gospel, then that's your homework. You've got to go home and read it. You have to read it. Um, and specifically, I'd really encourage you to pay attention to the last chapter, really like paragraph 260 on because that's where he really speaks about the heart of an evangelist and what the, what the heart of zeal is like. And he talks about this fire. You know, of course, the whole thing, he, he begins the, the, the letter by saying, he says, I dream of a missionary option. That is a missionary impulse capable of transforming everything. So that the church's customs, ways of doing things, times and schedules, languages and structures can be channeled for evangelization of the world rather than self-preservation. Right? See the shift? Why do we exist? Not to care for ourselves, not to make sure that we're able to go on, but to evangelize the world. Right? 
the, uh, he said early on, Pope Francis, he was at a synod in the Diocese of Rome, and he said, you know the parable of the, the, the sheep? There's 99, and there's one lost, and the good shepherd goes after the lost one. He said, the problem is today that we have the one in the church, and the, 90, the 99 are out there. And we're spending all of our time caring for this one, making sure that its coat is clean, <laughs> rather than going out to search for the 99 that are lost, right? This is what he's talking about, this missionary impulse. Everything we do ought to be directed towards reaching people out there so that they can come and encounter Christ. Of course, he, he points out, Pope Francis points out that this zeal that we need to evangelize comes from the encounter. It comes from being with Jesus. That's what an encounter is, experiencing him, encountering him, knowing him, spending time with him. And uh, he's quite strong about this. Basically, he says, if there's not a fire burning in your heart to share the love of Jesus with others, then you're really not a Christian. That's basically what he says. Listen, I'll just read his quotes. Paragraph 264. What kind of love would not feel the need to speak of the beloved? To point him out, to make him known. If we do not feel an intense desire to share this love, then we need to pray insistently that he will once more touch our hearts. We need to implore his grace, asking him to open our cold hearts and to shake up our lukewarm and superficial existence. If I don't feel this intense desire to share the love of Jesus, then I'm living what he calls a lukewarm and superficial Christian life, right? Where does that fire, that intense desire come from? St. Pope Francis says, from being with him, from spending time with him, the zeal, the fire grows, and then I want to share it. This is the quote, actually, I was going to read a Mass, and it's, it's the same paragraph, 264. How good it is to stand before a crucifix or on our knees before the Blessed Sacrament and simply to be in his presence. I remember when I was doing youth ministry uh, in the parish in Fairbourne, I was at a retreat and we had adoration going on and I could see how powerfully the Lord was working with the young people and it, I was like, that's all I have to do. Like really, if I just bring them here <laughs> before Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament, he does all the work, you know? Um, like basically I just need to prepare them and teach them and for them to bring them to the place where they can actually be before him with open hearts, and then he does all the work, right? He continues, how much good it does us when he once more touches our lives and impels us to share his new life. What happens then is that we speak of what we have seen and heard. See, when I encounter him, then I'm, I'm touched by him, and then I want to speak about it. The best incentive for sharing the gospel comes from workshops. <laughs> the best incentive for sharing the gospel comes from contemplating it with love, lingering over its pages, 
reading it with the heart. Do you do that every day? Do you read the gospel that way, lingering over its pages, spending time encountering the Lord? That's where the fire of zeal comes from, being with him, being in adoration, meditating on the scriptures. If you, another letter that's really an important one for the new evangelization, if you haven't read it, is um, the letter, the apostolic letter, Nuovo Millennio Innuente, which St. John Paul II wrote on the coming of the third millennium, right? This is a letter that, that people who know say, St. John Paul II wrote in a week, the last week of the Jubilee year, okay? So St. John Paul II even says in the letter, he begins it by saying, I spent so much time this year looking out my window, watching the pilgrims come into the, through the holy door, the Jubilee year, right? Thousands are coming through the holy doors at St. Peter's. The Pope's meditating on this. And then he writes a letter. He calls it his pastoral plan for the third millennium. This is what he wants the church to do, right? And the interesting thing he says is he says, uh, what I want is that our parishes would become schools of prayer. Our parishes would become schools of prayer, places where people learn how to pray, so that then they're transformed and they can transform the world, right? And what he says is, in order to do this, we have to first contemplate always before we do any action. He said in the Christian life, contemplation always precedes action, right? And so he encourages, commands us to spend time contemplating the face of Christ and then setting out into the deep. Pope Francis is saying the exact same thing. The best incentive for sharing the gospel comes from contemplating it, encountering him, spending time with him. And what happens there is what? Then we experience this fire burning in us. And then we have zeal to continue to share it. Can I honestly tell you that uh, if I didn't have a prayer life, I wouldn't be standing here, right? I can honestly say that. Like, I, There's no way I would have lived through the last two years of my life if I didn't have a prayer life. I just wouldn't have made it, right? It's not anything of me. It's because of God. I need God's grace. And I was faced with deep, difficult circumstances where I need God's grace. And continue to be. But that's, that's the Christian life, right? And it's the zeal that comes from prayer that pushes us through that. Again, Pope Francis 280, paragraph 280. Keeping our missionary fervor alive calls for firm trust in the Holy Spirit. For it's he who helps us in, his, in our weakness. But this generous trust has to be nourished and so we need to invoke the Spirit constantly so that he can heal whatever causes us to flag in our missionary endeavor. Of course, this is what happens as I grow in a deep prayer life, right? The things which are causing me to flag, to lag in my missionary endeavor come up and the Lord can heal them so that I can continue to go on. Pope Francis, he ends this, uh, this letter really by... Um, 
talking about the risk of the missionary endeavor. He talks about the fact that if I'm actually going to give my life to serving evangelization and the mission, there's a risk. And the risk is that it's going to be difficult. And at times I'm going to feel disoriented and discouraged. But it's actually through that that the Lord's going to draw me deeper to himself and make me who he wants me to be. It's, you know, it's, we were saying that song right at the end of Mass, right? You've called me higher, you've called me deeper. There's a risk to saying yes to that call. But that's, in, in fact, the normal risk of the missionary endeavor. Here's the way Pope Francis speaks about it. He says, it's true that this trust in the unseen can cause us to feel disoriented. It's like being plunged into the deep and not knowing what we will find. I myself, he says, have frequently experienced this. I think if any of you saw him when he came out on the balcony for the very first time as Pope, I think it's precisely what he experienced, right? This disorientation, like, oh my gosh. What just, and if you looked at him, I remember I was like, smile, Holy Father, smile. Because he was, at first he was just like overwhelmed, you know? And eventually he did smile, and he hasn't stopped smiling. But you sense that, right? Plunged into the deep, not knowing what we'll find, and the difficult things that come up when I'm doing mystery and ministry, and the, the tiring aspect of it, and the fact that at times I don't see results. He speaks about all these things. And then he says this, Yet there is no greater freedom than that of allowing oneself to be guided by the Holy Spirit, Renouncing the attempt to plan and control everything, and instead letting him enlighten, guide, and direct us wherever he wills. The Holy Spirit knows well what is needed in every time and place, and this is what it means to be mysteriously fruitful. Basically says, if I will trust him and surrender to him in my ministry and let him guide me, then through that darkness or difficulty, there will be great, great fruit. I just want to close this story telling you one story about a man. I tell the story everywhere, so you've probably heard it before. But um, it's a man who had a deep impact on me. He's gone to heaven now. His name is Fernand. And uh, Fernand was a paraplegic. He lived in Ghent, Belgium. And I met him uh, through the missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa's sisters. I would go there on occasion to do retreats for his sisters, and or for the sisters. And, and they would take me to see Fernand. And, Fernand uh, wanted to be a priest uh, and was signed up for the seminary, but right before he entered the seminary, he came down with a disease that paralyzed him, and so he's a paraplegic, so he can only move his head. Uh, actually, he can squeeze his right thumb just enough. He holds a button in his hand, you know, and so when someone buzzes the door to his house, he can squeeze his thumb just enough to press that button and let people into his house, right? But he can't feed himself, he can't move himself in bed, so people have to come and do all this for him. And when I met him, he had been like that for 50 years. In fact, the doctors couldn't figure out why he was still alive, you know? Uh, the interesting thing is that the sisters would say that he's the most joyful person they've ever met, and I would have to agree. In fact, they, they say that when they were having a bad day, you know, they'd go see Fernand because he would always cheer him up. 
And the interesting thing is in Belgium, you have mandatory community service for two years. So every young person has to either do military service or community service full time for two years, from 18 to 20, basically. And so some people in their mandatory community service have to care for Fernand. And what happens, the sisters said, is you know, after about two months of just being around him, they start to come to the sisters for instructions in the Catholic faith, you know? Belgium, of course, used to be a Catholic country, now it's a pagan country. And, uh, and so they, they, they come because they under, begin to understand who Jesus is by being with Fernand. Fernand, uh, when Mother Teresa first met him, she was in the room with him, and there was a co-worker there, one of her co-workers, and she was looking around the room, and she said, uh, Fernand, the co-worker said this, Fernand, there's, there's, there's no crucifix on your wall. Why don't you have a crucifix? And Mother Teresa got a little upset with the co-worker. And she said, don't you get it? He's the crucifix. He's on the cross. And in fact, Fernand does have a crucifix in his room, and he keeps it right here on his chest, between his arms, so that he can remember what he's doing. And he says, he said to me when I met him, he said, uh, he said, Father Andrew, I know that I've done more good for God on this bed than I would have as a priest. He said, because this bed is my altar and it's the place where I make my sacrifice, right? The last time I met him, uh, I celebrated mass in his room, gave him communion and at the end of Mass, he was, he was telling me what a joy it was to receive communion, how he couldn't wait till tomorrow to receive communion again. And then he said, he said this line that has, uh, was etched in my own heart. He said, I'm just a man. He said, Father Andrew, I'm just a man with all my weakness, but I'm burning with love. I'm just a man with all my weakness, but I'm burning with love. To me, that's zeal, Right? It's the fire of the heart of Jesus. And how did it come about in him? Of course, there must have been many dark days when he had to surrender to what God was asking of him. But as he went through that very difficult surrender, a fire began to burn in him. And it's the fire of the heart of Jesus, right? I think really that's, that's the goal for all of us that through our lives of prayer, through our continually coming back to Jesus, we'd be able to say with Fernand, I'm just a man, I'm just a woman with all my weakness, but I'm burning with love because I know love and I want to share it. Thank you. God bless you.